Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we're looking at the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This particular audio starts with a clip from the documentary of Rattle and Hum by U2. So there's a clip that starts this. Just want to let you know about that. But let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown. Thanks for listening. Well, we wrote the song I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which um, is a gospel song, pretty much. I mean, we, it doesn't sound much like a gospel song the way we do it, but if you look at the lyric and the basic music, that's exactly what it is. And we, we got a cassette from a friend of ours in Island Records of uh, the gospel choir covering the song. And it sounded like, it sounded totally different, but it sounded really exciting and new. So we traveled down to Harlem and visited this church in the middle of Harlem where this choir were uh, going through a rehearsal. And uh, we played with them and got the idea to do a, a kind of combination arrangement.
We have any U2 fans in here? Not YouTube, U2. <laughs> yeah, I, that was uh, my favorite U2 album, Joshua Tree, uh, for the purest out there. But uh, they had that song. Still hadn't found what I'm looking for on that CD. But I love this. There was this movie that came out shortly after the Joshua Tree called Rattle and Hum. It was a total bomb in the theaters. And uh, but this was taken from that. And and I love kind of what they were even saying. You might not have uh, heard this too well at the beginning, but that that they wrote this song and it was a gospel song kind of from the beginning. But these Irish rock and roll guys, they don't sound very gospel. But somebody in Harlem uh, just understood something about this song and and they they gave it the gospel kind of treatment and and I love this song because I remember back in the a long time ago uh, back in the 80s when this came out um, there were a lot of Christians that kind of got offended at that at this song because they knew that you know uh, three of the four guys in you two are, are devout Christians and and this song certainly has all kind of Christian imagery you know I believe in the kingdom come where all the colors will bleed into one you broke the bonds you loose the chains carried the cross of my shame I believe it but I still hadn't found what I'm looking for doesn't that kind of sound like a slap in the face like okay you found God but you still hadn't found what you're looking for so does that make sense to anybody and, and I think a lot of people initially when this song came out, they're like, well, if God's not what you're looking for, <laughs> if this whole song is about God and he's not like what you're looking for, then what are you looking for? If he's not the answer and the meaning of your life, then, then what are you looking for? But I really, I love this song because I think it hits on something that the more I follow Jesus, the more I can get it. There is this tension between experiencing a bit of God and, 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 and living in this longing and this hunger, this desire for things to be the way God intends them to be. Because though we've tasted of God's goodness, we still live in a world that is just so messed up. Everywhere we look, there's violence and destruction. Like we, 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 that, that, um, that passage from Habakkuk this morning that, that, you know, there's violence. God, how long do I have to look at this stuff before you answer? Come on, a little help. And I feel like you too had a way of, of giving voice to those feelings within us. And so, yes, I think it's a perfect gospel song. And I really think it's a good tie into what we're going to be uh, looking at today. Um. The passage for this morning is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. And by the way, if this is your first time here, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for about five or six weeks now. And so you can get caught up on our website if you want to listen to other messages. But the first thing I want to deal with is, what does Jesus mean when he says hunger and thirst for righteousness? What is righteousness? Because I think for most of us in kind of modern evangelical American churches, we think of righteousness simply in terms of morality. 
You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, right? And, um, I mean, there's a lot of people. That, that's it. You know, righteousness is just follow the rules, get in line, and that's righteousness. But I don't think that's really what Jesus was getting at at all. Uh, Jesus' understanding of, of righteousness would have been that of the Jewish people of that day. And, and so righteousness was really tied up with this concept called shalom. You ever heard of shalom before? Um, in, in, in Arabic, there's actually a word called salam. And, and both, uh, you know, people who are, um, what do you call them, Islamics? Uh, Muslims, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Muslims, as-salam, salam alaikum, something like that. Uh, that word salam means peace. In, in, in Jewish, it's shalom. They're both from the same Semitic root word. Shalom means peace. That's the way we translate it in English, but it's much bigger than peace. It actually means well-being, wholeness, everything related rightly. I think a great word for this is harmony. I, I did a demonstration at our Alpha course a few years ago, and it, it went over Al's head. Al LeBlanc, uh, is a good friend of mine, but he's, he's pretty tone deaf. And so uh, I've stopped taking uh, his compliments about the music very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but I did this demonstration one time in Alpha where I took a guitar. You can take a perfectly good guitar. This is a Martin. This is a favorite guitar of mine. And it doesn't matter uh, if I've got brand new strings on that. It doesn't matter how expensive of a guitar I have. You can take one of those strings, just one string out of those six strings and take it a little out of tune. And all of a sudden, everything you play on that guitar from that moment on is going to sound off to those who can hear it at least. (laughs) Problem is when I did that demonstration, I knocked the string out of tune. I started singing these songs and I was like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't hear the difference, but, but in a sense, this is what, this is what happens in our world is that we, something comes out of tune with God. This is what sin does. We come out of tune. And so instead of having harmony, instead of having, you know, when, when a, when a guitar has all the strings are, are perfectly in tune with one another, then you have harmony. But instead of harmony, we have dissonance. Things are not right. And so when there is shalom, there is harmony. There's harmony between us and God. We're rightly related to God. There's harmony between human beings. People are rightly related to one another. There's harmony within. Have you ever just noticed there's sometimes in your life where you're so just out of whack on the inside, you're not even at at harmony with your own self. Shalom is is peace, well-being, right relationship. It is God's desire for the world, for everything to be as it was intended to be. So while we've tasted of God's goodness, we still haven't found what we're looking for yet, have we? And I think this is the reason that Jesus tells us later on in this same passage to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because things aren't the way God wants them right now. So he asked us to, to, to pray for those. But it's not just even praying for those. It's longing. We sang that song this morning. There's a longing in my soul for you, a desperate yearning deep within for you. There's a longing for your touch in my life, a desperate yearning for, for these wrongs to be made right. 
And so this is where we get to hunger and thirst. I think the best word that we can kind of sum up hunger and thirst is longing. You know, I just long to, 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 for something. Have you ever experienced longing in your life? Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, I know when Dina and I were dating, it was really good that she moved to Lafayette for a couple of months. You know, I mean, we were, uh, we just loved each other. And, and, but there was just this longing. There's this longing to, to, to get on with spending the rest of our lives together. Maybe you have a trip coming up and you haven't had a family vacation in years. And you're just like, man, I'm longing to get out of here. But I think in another sense, we have, we have longings to see things set right in our world. Some, some of these longings are, are very big. They're universal. Uh, you know, I, I was reading that uh, to solve, you know, we, we, we took up like, I think raised around $17,000 last December for, to help an organization that does water wells in Africa. Um, and the thing is, curing global water issues, at least, you know, water purity issues. Uh, California's got some issues with having water, period. That's another story. But, but offering clean water to human beings around the world only costs the neighborhood of a few billion dollars to get that entire job done. You know how much the American government spends on military expenditures per day? It's in the neighborhood of six or seven billion dollars a day. You could, take, you could take what we spend on wars and defense in one day, and we could solve global water issues. You know, more kids die uh, from, from issues related to bad water around the world than from anything else. And so we have these longings. God, that, that's not right. It's not right that people don't have access to just the most basic of needs. So we have those kinds of things on a, on a universal level, but we also have a longing in a personal way. I long for things to just be right in my world. You know, we have a longing that is for, for the systems of the world to be made right. I watched a... I'm not endorsing this television program, particularly for young folks, but um, I watched a, a very interesting uh, TV series recently called The Wire. Anybody seen The Wire? Um, okay, one person. Great. <laughs> I'm, I'm always cautious of recommending something. Oh, my gosh, your pastor recommended this. Um, but what I liked about this, it, it starts off like a typical, you think it's going to be a typical cop drama in Baltimore, and it, it takes place over about four seasons. But what you really find is that the problems that they're trying to deal with are, are systemic problems. I mean, it's really, it's really kind of the same thing going on in New Orleans. They start out with trying to solve the drug problem, but then they realize the drug problem is not just related to people trying to make money. It's, it's related to bad economic conditions, bad housing conditions, the breakdown of the family, which is, enti- which is also tied to education in the city and in the inner city, which is also tied to the corruption in the government. And then you find out that some of the very police officers that are charged with bringing justice are, are on the take. And we see that, 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 that far from being just isolated sins, and that's kind of the way we treat sin most of the time, but really what sin is, is, is it gets into the systems, the human systems of the world, and oppresses people. That's really a closer biblical def- definition of what we see going on with the concept of sin, is that it keeps people poor, enslaved, sick, and without opportunities. 
And so there's a longing in us. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, when I was watching that TV show, it, 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 it really messed with my world because I'm like, God, I ache. I, I, I'm sad by the situation of kids who grow up in the inner city, who, who grow up many times in, you know, fatherless and, and, and without access to anything. And the, and, and the, deck's, the deck is kind of stacked against them to begin with. My heart breaks for that. We have a longing for the systems of the world to be redeemed. Sometimes it's a longing for relationships to be made right. Have you ever experienced a... I just realized, I don't think our AC's on, is it? It's so quiet in here. Hey, Mike, you, 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 is it on? Okay, okay. All right, all right. It is on, okay. Um, there's a longing for air. <laughs> Cold air. <laughs> Um, where was I? Oh, relations. Relationships. If you've ever gone through a divorce or had friends going through a divorce, that's the hardest thing, you know, and best friends of mine have, have their, their marriage has come apart. It's just been so sad. You know, we just want to do anything. We're, we're longing for them to be brought back together. And I think relational, you know, when things break apart relational, that's one of the hardest things you can face as a human being. It just tears you up. We have a longing for relationships to be made right. And then sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's addictions and struggles and hang-ups. Do you ever find yourself just, you know, I know when I became a Christian, you know, at age 20, I was under the illusion like, you know, I'm going to have these things kicked pretty quick. And here I find that, you know, 21, 22 years later, you know, it's not like I'm struggling with brand new things. It's pretty much the same old junk that I've been, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not like the devil has to get terribly creative with me. I've got a handful of things that just mess me up all the time. And I find, God, how long? Is this, is this just my lot in life? Is this like Paul talked about, this, the thorn in my side? You know, how long, Lord? That's hunger and thirst. That's hunger and thirst. And what does Jesus say about those who hunger and thirst? He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. God is with us in our thirst. He is joining with us in this longing and hunger and thirst. In that lack, in that absence, in that ache, in that desire, in those hunger pains, God is with you and he's on your side. Blessed are you when you deeply crave shalom. Blessed are you when you can say like Bono, I still hadn't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come, but I still ain't seen it the way I need to. We often misinterpret the Beatitudes by thinking that Jesus is giving a command or advice or a list of steps to a successful life. But he doesn't give a nice teaching about how to get rid of hunger and thirst. And guess what? Jesus doesn't blame you for your hunger and thirst. You hear me? Jesus doesn't blame you for your hunger and thirst. 
He doesn't give you excellent facts about your hunger and thirst. What Jesus does is he gives an announcement to people who hunger and thirst that you are blessed even in this moment. You know, we have this idea in America that Jesus is saying God blesses the people who devote their lives to being morally upright and without sin and virtuous. You ever heard, uh, you ever heard that saying, God helps those who help themselves? Right? You've probably seen it on a plaque at Cracker Barrel or something. <laughs> right next to, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Proverbs thirty-three twenty-one. But, you know, I've said this before, but, but in America, we grow up. This, the filter that we read the Bible through is, is that. We grow up thinking everybody has the same access to everything. You know, I, I recently um, listened to a podcast. They were talking about this experiment that was done at a university um, a few years back. And they got university students, they paid them to play Monopoly. How would you like that gig? Monopoly lovers out there, some of you are like, no, that would be torture. Um, but, but it was a rigged game of Monopoly, and they told them, you know, they would get two people to play Monopoly, and they said, look, it's, it's rigged from the start, um, but you're getting paid to, to play. So uh, here's the deal. This guy over here, he gets to roll the dice twice. He gets twice as much money as you. You get to roll the one dice, and you get half the money that he gets at. So the game actually starts rigged. And they both know it. And every time the guy that starts with the most money and gets to roll the dice twice, he wins. But what was interesting about this, you you know, the results are not uh, entirely uh, anything you wouldn't think happened. But what was interesting is when they interviewed the guy that started off with more, he actually took credit for it. Every person that won the Monopoly game, after starting out with twice as much as the other guy and getting to roll the dice, two dice instead of one, always felt that they were better at Monopoly than the guy, the poor guy that, that started out, you know, with half the money and got to roll once. And here's the deal. In, our, in, in America, we grow up, particularly us who are white middle class, we grow up with this, with this idea that anybody can just, with just enough hard work, can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just, just make a go of your life. But most of us have started out with twice the money and twice the dice rolls of, of many of the people that we look down on. God helps those who help themselves. We like that idea. We come up with theologies to back up that idea. You know, if you just do this, this, and this, God's going to do this. God will help you if, if you help God, you know. And, and what Jesus says is totally opposite from that. Guess what? You who don't have anything, you lucky bums, you folks who don't get to vote, who are oppressed, who are poor, who are on the margins, guess what? I am with you. You people who are hungering and longering and hankering, um, hankering, that'd be our southern translation. Um, you folks who are hankering for things to be right, I'm with you. And this is the announcement of God's grace. This is the good news, by the way, okay? <laughs> this is good news. Jesus would not have started with this crowd if his message was God helps those who help themselves. If Jesus 
If, if what this passage is saying is that get, get your right, life right and, and do as good as you can and, and have as good of morals as you can and do all these things and then you're blessed, Jesus wouldn't have started with these people. He would have started with the Pharisees, wouldn't he? If there was one group on planet Earth that was good at following the rules, it was the Pharisees. You know, the Old Testament has hundreds of rules, and the Pharisees weren't content with the hundreds of rules in the Old Testament. They added another couple of hundred rules to them. And they had, they, they had this thing down. And yet we find all throughout the Gospels that it's the Pharisees who Jesus is butting heads with over and over again. This isn't... God will bless you if you're good enough and if you work hard enough and you pray enough and read the Bible enough and do enough nice things and don't ever cuss, don't ever smoke, don't ever chew or go with girls that do. This isn't the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is blessed are you who are not good enough, who are not real righteous, who who are experiencing lack and want and poverty. Blessed are you because the kingdom is here. It's funny I've amassed a a small library of books on the Sermon on the Mount now and preparing for this series. And uh, there are a lot of theologians out there who really look at this as um, something like, like, like Jesus has given us a whole new law, you know, like this, you know, there was the law in the old Testament. Now here's this. And, uh, There's one theologian who wrote, you know, this is the most demanding beatitude. This is the hardest one to achieve. And you can tell by that kind of wording, it's like, man, like we got to really strive to, 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 to be righteous. But remember the context of Jesus's audience. We keep coming back to this. These are a defeated and conquered people in slavery The fabric of their culture was unraveling. These people were stuck in bondage. These were people who were actually hungry, not metaphorically hungry. They were actually hungry. They were actually thirsty. They were actually in poverty, not just the spiritual kind. They had lost their way of life. Is Jesus' good news to them just, you need to do better? You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Or is it actually good news to them right there? Next, we get to the idea of those who hunger and thirst will be filled. What does that mean? There's, there's two schools of thought that kind of dominate a lot of the uh, theological uh, commentaries on this. One is just what I mentioned, that these are new laws. The other pushes this thing way off into the hereafter. Because I don't know if you've noticed that the world is still pretty bad. Like in the past 2,000 years, uh, you know, we have mass murders, we have wars, we have diseases, pestilence, famines, all that stuff. And... So, so what was Jesus saying by your hunger will be satisfied? Did he just mean simply that, that when the kingdom of God comes in his fullness, then, then your hunger will be satisfied? Like, you'll have to wait around a couple thousand years. <laughs> Life's going to be pretty lame for a while. But eventually, after you die, your, your hunger will be satisfied. I don't think that's what God's getting at at all. Jesus is saying, God is blessing the absence of righteousness, the craving, the awareness that we don't have it all together. 
seeing that things aren't right. Jesus blesses the absence, not the achievement, the longing, not the action, the desire, not the doing. Jesus is blessing their state of being. They're not doing anything. They got nothing. And Jesus says, you're blessed. The announcement of the gospel is counterintuitive, and it's an unexpected proclamation that God is with you in this tension. That's good news, right? God is with you in the midst of your questions, your poverty, your hunger, your thirst. His announcement shows up to us right where we are in our place of need. Gospel is for people who need. We read that passage in worship this morning, Habakkuk 1. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Like, God, why do I have to keep looking at this stuff if you're not going to do anything? You ever felt that way before? I mean, anybody want to be honest here? Um, I got to tell you, these, the, the Bible is, is quite offensive to some of the traditions that I've grown up in, and particularly words of Jesus. In my early years as a Christian, I was around a, a lot of uh, kind of expressions of, of faith that, that, that basically were, um, you know, victorious Christian living. God wants you to live a victorious life. And a lot of times this was put in terms of, I mean, it almost got like superstitious. I mean, not almost, it did. You know, I would bump into somebody that was struggling with a cold, and I was like, hey, man, what's, what's up? You look kind of, you know, sick today. Well, I'm not speaking this over my life, but uh, I've, I've kind of got a snivel here. I'm kind of struggling. There was a sense that if you actually admitted that you were feeling sick or that you were having relational problems or that uh, your job was horrible, if you admitted that reality, that all of a sudden you empower the devil to take over your life. Anybody, for those of you who grew up Catholic, you're, you're, you're probably great, but some of us have experienced that. And, and, and you almost live in this kind of thing like... like uh, uh, I showed this clip before. I won't show it today from Monty Python where, you know, you've got the black knight and he, you know, keeps getting attacked by the other guy. It's a, it's a comedy, by the way. But he gets, you know, his limbs cut off and he keeps going, you know, didn't hurt. I'm not dead yet. Is that all you got? And, uh, and it, it's ridiculous because this guy ends up being just this kind of stump with a head that's just, you know, come back here. Let me fight you. And, but yet I... But yet I see Christians who are, who are in this kind of victorious Christian living mindset, and their life may be falling apart, and they can't admit it because to admit it would be to empower the enemy. To, to admit that is to, to give the devil place. But what I see here is Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're hungry and thirsty, when you can admit that you ain't got it all together. When your marriage isn't the best and you don't like your job and, and you're having one of those Habakkuk days where you're going, God, you know, why do I have to look at all this stuff and it doesn't seem like you want to do anything? Can I be honest with you, God? <laughs> Blessed are you when you can articulate your hunger and thirst before God because in that moment you will find God. In that moment, you will find God. You know, in, in my early years as a Christian, um, I really thought the only 
way to get transformation in my life was coming at the front for the altar call at the end of the service. And, and by the way, I, I had a couple of, I, I did have, I've shared this before. I had a profound encounter with, with God one time up at the, at an altar. It changed my life. Uh, you know, I mean, I actually ended up on the floor. I got up feeling like I needed to have somebody drive me home. I felt intoxicated. It was great. Um, I wish I could have got it to happen again and again and again, but, um, and it really changed my life. But I can tell you, most of the transformation in my life has not come in a church, in a worship service, when the angels are singing and everything's going great. Most of the transformation in my life has been when all my theological prayers have been whittled down to, oh, God, have mercy. <laughs> you know, just help, God, <laughs> help I mean, really, sometimes that's been my biggest prayer was like one-word prayers. You know, you know you're in it when you get down to those one-word prayers, you know, help or oh, God. But it's in those moments where things are falling apart and, and it doesn't seem like you're going to make it and your heart is broken and you're grieving and you can't see the light. You feel like your, prayer, your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to you. You feel alone and isolated. It's in that moment where you will find God. But I think part of that finding God is actually giving voice to your hunger. Because <laughs> so many times we come around God and we feel like we have to, you know, put fig leaves on, you know, and dress up the outside and make it look like, you know, God, I got this, you know. And, and it's like, God, I just think like God's going, really? You have permission to be honest about your hunger and your thirst. And this is a sign that you get it. See, I, I think if you can be honest with your hunger and thirst, you're, you're, you're close to the kingdom right there. You're close. Because there are people in this world that profit from the, the systems of this world as they are. There, you know, I, I talked about that show, The Wire, you know, and you got all this corruption and government and education and all this thing. There are people that profit from things being that way. There are some people who make a good living from things being broken and messed up. They aren't hungry. They aren't thirsty. They don't lack. The Sermon on the Mount isn't speaking to them. They like the way the systems of the world work. This beatitude announces nothing to them whatsoever. Blessed are those who ache over the condition of the world. Jesus blesses the longing and the desire. God speaks to the hunger and the thirst and says, I am with you even in that. Now, I've not come to a point in my faith where I love going through hard times. <laughs> you know, I've not gotten there yet. But I am starting to, to, to understand a little bit of that crazy scripture that says, Rejoice when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Um, because I'm really finding that there really, truly is nothing that can separate me from God's love. And, and, and honestly, some of those times when it gets the hardest, my illusions about myself and the world are stripped away, and I find that God truly is there in that. That he never left me. He never forsook me. He never hid his face. He never ran away. God's blessing is with us 
in our longing. Now here's the last thing too, is that as we begin to experience God in our hunger and thirst, we begin to be a cup of water to those who are hungry and thirsty. As we begin to experience God in our own lack, our own worry, our own fears, our own uh, misgivings about the world, as we begin to experience God in that, then guess what? We begin to be sustenance to those who are hungry and thirsty just by our very presence, the same way Jesus was with these people. We're going to close today by taking communion together. Um, I want to read this passage uh, from a a quote from uh, Richard Rohr. He says, when Jesus says he's giving himself to you as the bread of life, and if you eat this bread, you will live forever, he's saying, find yourself in me. Be reflected truthfully before the perfect mirror that is Jesus, and you will be free from the revolving hall of mirrors of the people and culture around you. Don't let other people's responses and expectations determine who you are and how you feel about yourself. Eat this food as your primary nutrition, and you are indestructible because you are then living in your true self, which is who you are in God. This morning, we're going to come to the table with our hunger, our thirst, our groaning, our aching, and we're just going to be honest with God, but we're going to be nourished by the bread symbolizing his body broken for us and by the cup symbolizing his blood poured out for us for the new covenant. And so I'm going to invite Penny and Brian up here, and today I'm just going to uh, go through one of those songs we did in worship earlier, and um, Maybe during this few moments, we're not going to do this terribly organized today. Um, so come up whenever you feel like it. And, um, but maybe just spend a little time reflecting with the Lord, you know, being honest. God, these are some of my disappointments. These are some of the things I'm really hungry and thirsty for right now that I don't see. And, and bring those to the Lord even as you take of the bread and the cup this morning.